Ahoy, authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 123 of the Writership Podcast. Today, we're talking about the podcast. I'm Leslie Watts, here with Writership's first officer, Liz Green. To learn more about the podcast, visit writership.com slash podcast. Jim Kukral of the Author Marketing Club and the Sell More Book Show is doing another big conference this time in Chicago in May 2018. It's called the Selmore Book Show Summit, and you can learn more and get your ticket at sellmorebookshow.com slash summit. Join 174 other writers and publishing friends for this interactive two-day conference and networking event in Chicago. Eat, drink, and learn together, and be on your way to building a stronger and more profitable career as an author. Only 175 seats are available, and early bird pricing will run out soon. Visit sellmorebookshow.com slash summit to grab your ticket. So today we're deviating a little from the usual format And I'm joined by Liz Green, our fantastic first officer at Writership. And we had received some notes and some concerns about a shift in the focus of the podcast. And Liz had the great idea to record an episode where we just talk about the changes in my approach to editing in general, and then uh, a few uh, answer a few questions about the story grid as well, since that's something that comes up a lot, and not everyone is familiar with it. So welcome, Liz. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me come on and quiz you. Oh, I'm delighted. I thought it might be good for the job because I'm not a certified story grid editor, like a lot of the guest hosts that we've had on recently. So I'm a little bit removed from the story grid world. So I can maybe ask you some questions about that whole thing from a different perspective. I think what's triggered a couple of emails and questions from people is that they've noticed if you go back, I don't know, 50 episodes or something, you were used to talk about um, a lot of things like sentence structure and active verbs and echoes and those kind of editing tips. These days, it's more about bigger picture stuff, about scenes. The episodes have gotten longer. Mm-hmm. So why the change? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> it's a big question. It's a big question. Well, so I guess... Starting from we, you know, the focus shifting from the prose and the sort of the way that we tell the story to more story related topics, story structure, and and those kinds of things, is that there's there's plenty to say about 
sentence structure and word choice and, and all of those things. But they're not, they're harder to talk about, I guess. And they're, the examples are not always, it's not always easy, you know, for an audio show, for a podcast, as opposed to in writing um, where you can actually look at what we're talking about while we're talking about it. Yeah. And I also wanted, you know, wanted to shift the podcast a little bit, just gradually. Part of it was bringing Clark on board, and he is more focused on story structure as well. And so that was, you know, that was a slight shift. And then we kept kind of moving in that direction in part because that's the first place for writers to start when they're doing revision. And, you know, I sometimes see manuscripts come to me for copy editing, for example, where they're not quite ready for that level. They really need to work on the story. And there's not a lot of help for this. There's a There are a lot of great resources for outlining you know for planning and drafting your story but not a lot of resources for what do you do once you have the draft because you can kind of use that system the system you use to plan it to you know at a certain level to you know to revise you certainly have checklists and that kind of thing but there's more to revision I want to really focus on what, how do you get your story in shape before you start planning the language and working with that. It seems to me as well that that's where you're really passionate about story editing is with the bigger picture stuff. Yeah, I really want to focus on helping people to tell their stories and focus on that because that's, uh, well, people will forgive you a few typos. People will forgive you a few awkward sentences, but people generally, readers don't forgive a story that doesn't work. And there's so many ways that it could go askew. And, Sideways. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we get a lot there are again there are lots of resources about writing you know about just general writing basic sentence structure and those kinds of things and it's not that it's not important and it's not that it isn't um something that isn't you know to consider differently in the context of story but i really feel drawn to the story level editing and i also think in you know, in answering your question, one of your other, one of your sub questions is that talking about story structure naturally takes a little longer than talking about sentence structure, because we're dealing with a bigger canvas, essentially, um, bigger concepts. Right. And it's important to me, too, because of you know, again, like resources that are available. There are a lot of resources that will tell you maybe what's wrong, what to look for, or 
what to do, but not necessarily how to do it or why to do it and how to make those distinctions. And so it, when we get into those deeper conversations and include all of those elements, it does tend to take a little longer. Mm. And one of those resources that you've been talking a lot about lately is the story grid methodology of editing and working with a story. So tell us about how you came to know about the story grid, where it came from. Yeah, I started by, I I knew of Sean Coyne, who's the author of the book, The Story Grid. And I had, I had followed him on Stephen Pressfield's blog. And then I heard him speak on Joanna Penn's um, podcast, The Creative Pen. And he was talking about the story grid method. And it was just, you know, when you hear the thing that you've been looking for, and maybe you don't know that you've been looking for, and you find it, it's, you know, you hear angelic music playing in the background and that kind of thing it's it suited my my analytical thinking about story and it provides an objective way of evaluating stories to see if they work or not and the cool thing is it's it's Sean has organized and pulled together lots of great resources and created this system, but he's pulled from centuries old thinking on story in general and, you know, and added some of his own finesse essentially, but, but really gotten into you know, really collected and gathered and organized a lot of old information on storytelling that's just amazing so this isn't just something that sean coin has pulled out of his <laughs> you know what <laughs> it, it it comes from kind of time time tested story ideas yeah the the underpinnings for the story grid or the you know the sources that he pulls from include aristotle include norman friedman who is someone i'm very excited about right now i've been studying his work and that he that was published in the 50s um he of course pulls from mckee robert mckee i'm trying to think yeah i was like uh. um (laughs) you know and and other sources as well and it's it's really a great collection of what i think is the the best and clearest thinking on story now sean presents everything in a very analytical framework he's an analytical guy it totally speaks to me and my way of working and i understand though that it doesn't always make sense immediately for people it can feel kind of intimidating and mm-hmm. so what I want to do is kind of is talk about it, but pull in other ways of explaining and and understanding story that are in line with the objective way of evaluating and seeing what's wrong and knowing exactly what to do to fix it, but but explaining it in a way so that everybody, even if they're not quite, they don't have the analytical bent, they can still take it in, understand it, 
take what they leave or take what they like that rather and you know and disregard the rest but but still benefit from this amazing tool that that Sean has organized and yeah Mm. but you've been editing for many years so why do you need this now oh well yeah I have been editing for many years and I have a great I mean, if I'm allowed to say so, I have a pretty good in intuitive sense of story and I can tell when something's not working. But what the story grid does is it gives me a framework to see exactly what that is. So it's not just, oh, I have this vague sense that something in chapter 10 isn't working, which is okay, you can go read chapter 10 and kind of look at it. But if I'm not more specific than that, it's not going to really help you. So Mm. the story grid allows me to be very specific about what's not working and what is working. And because you don't want to change what is working. Um, No, (laughs) that that. would be a shame. (laughs) Right? So, So, but understanding exactly what's not working and then exactly what to do to fix it. Not that I'm telling you, oh, you must do this, you must do X, Y, Z. But what it is, is this is not, this part is not working, right? This particular scene doesn't turn, for example. And so here are some suggestions, here are some questions I can ask you to help you find the solution to that problem and the story grid gives me the vocabulary and the tool for very objective answers to those questions so it helps you express what you intuitively know but sometimes struggle might struggle to communicate to an author yeah yeah that concrete specific actionable steps that you can take to make your story better Okay, so that's why it helps you as an editor. But people have been writing amazing stories for ever without the story grid. So why do authors need a tool like the story grid now when people can write stories with that work without it? Yeah, lots of people write stories and write amazing stories and have written amazing stories without the story grid. Some people have, it's, I don't like to say like they're sprinkled with fairy dust or anything of the (laughs) sort, because I don't, I don't truly believe in that sort of thing. Um, I do believe in inspiration. I do believe that some people have an innate understanding of story structure that just comes out when they're writing um the same way some people are gifted athletically um so some people have that innate ability but everybody needs to work right everybody has to practice and so the story grid to me provides again this objective feedback useful, concrete next steps. And it helps us work on the things that aren't working. And so it's, it's really valuable in that way. And it, and like I said before, Sean has really collected and organized all of this thinking, great thinking on stories to help those of us who have to focus 
work a little harder at it um, <laughs> to do yeah. so, be successful. And a lot of these things that Sean has collected, it's quite, like you said, analytical, step-by-step um, -step guide, which is great for people like, I think you and I are the same in that we tend to be plotters more than pantsers. But what about the pantsers who are listening, who want to run for the hills when they hear the word analytical, or who feel that this sounds quite formulaic? Mm. Yeah, so when we're when we're talking about formula versus form, really what we're talking about is reader expectations. So when a when a reader picks up a particular book that you know that says it's a particular genre, they are expecting a certain experience. And if we don't deliver that experience, then they're going to go away unsatisfied and their chances are not going to give you another chance. Maybe they will. Probably not. There's a, there, there's a lot competing for our time yeah. reading stories these days. And it's not other authors you need to worry about necessarily. It's mostly Netflix in it's my It's mostly watch. Netflix, right? <laughs> and other other things like that. And so whether you're a plotter and you plan a lot in advance or rather whether you are pantsing, the point is that in delivering on reader expectations, the way that our story, the way that our brains really are wired to receive story, we have to be intentional about certain choices that we make in regards to the story. And one way to think about it is that, right, the people who have the more innate kind of sense of story, and I think a lot of people who tend to, you know, are attracted to pantsing are more like they have, they, they may, I don't, I haven't really tested this hypothesis, <laughs> uh, but they may have more of the innate you know sort of storytelling ability and therefore and that feels like oh this is my you know this is my creative inspiration coming so I don't really want to mess with that but mm. the whole point is that stories you, you're making choices whether you realize it or not right because some sometimes whether you consciously plan them or not exactly so while during the drafting phase, you definitely want to, as separate, I would, I would, and that's separate to me from the planning phase. So whatever you do to plan, however little or much planning could be, I'm just thinking about my story for a week or six months or six years before I <laughs> sit down to start writing. Um, but once we're in the drafting phase, yes, absolutely go crazy and let your, let your creativity have free reign. And then when you're in revision, you want to look at how successful you have been at meeting those expectations. Some of those choices, again, will be unconscious 
you want to bring those choices into consciousness, essentially, and be intentional about them. Because that doesn't make you like it doesn't make it less creative, it actually makes it more creative. The revision process is every bit as creative as the drafting process. We just don't think about it that way. Revision really gets a bad rap, I think. It does. And a lot of people are turned off and feel resistance to the editing and the revising. Yeah. And golly, if I could do... (laughs) Okay, I've got a list of my long of my things that I want to (laughs) accomplish before I shuffle off this mortal coil. But, um, But one of the things... I would love to do is to to show people that revision is is actually fun. Like it, it's it is a creative act and it's um it's every bit as important as the other parts of writing. Um it just like I said, it it gets a bad rap. We think about it like placing commas and things like that which get some people very excited. Think about rules and having to follow the rules. Yes. And what, I mean, I I hope that what has become clear over the time that people have been listening to the podcast is that I'm not a stickler for the rules. I believe in principles. And the underlying principles are things like, what does a reader expect when they open a cozy mystery? You know, how do we receive stories? How can we best deliver the story that you want to tell? And that's the thing that's that's key rather than individual rules that might apply sometimes and might not apply other times. So principles are like the foundation. Like, for example, in law school, we talked about how the Constitution has the, you know, the principles of Um, the founding of the country but then we have you know we have laws and things that come from that but where they conflict the principles should in an ideal world (laughs) right we should look at those principles for guidance rather than strictly following a rule okay and I think this concept differs to what a lot of people think about when they think about editing and maybe people have reached out to editors in the past um, other editors or even yourself not very long ago you were doing developmental edits in a different way Um, you might say more traditional developmental editing and I think different editors offer story edits or developmental edits in different ways and it gets a bit confusing about what that means to do a story edit or a developmental edit. Um, So why do you like this approach better than what you used to be doing or what other editors might be doing? Again, it's about having a, you know, having the principles of, you know, what is this particular story? What is a what is a person what is a reader looking for when they go to a thriller and understanding what the components are of that just like a shakespearean sonnet has 
you know, different, they, ha- they have elements and uh, that are part of the form. And if we don't meet those, then it's not really a Shakespearean sonnet. It's something else, which may be fine. But, <laughs> but if you want to slap thriller on the cover of your book, then it, you know, then you better have a hero at the mercy of the villain scene, for example. So mm-hmm. if you don't have that, the reader is going to be it's going to go away unsatisfied. So the the point of is that we have these this collection of principles and that there's a specific and objective way to measure how well you've met the principles. And then the other thing is that I talk with you about what your original intention was because despite our intentions, we don't always hit the nail on the head. It happens to me all the time where I have like I have a vision of what I want to do in my head and then what comes out on the page is different and it's you know for a wide variety of reasons. So it's important that I check with you like so I'll read the manuscript, see what's there, then I check with you about well, what was your intention? What is the story you wanted to tell? Because you can have the same character, same setting, same circumstances, and tell completely different stories. You could have a crime story, you could have a thriller, you could have a society story, you could have, you know, there are all kinds of stories that those facts could become. And it's important that I understand what you want the story to be rather than what it appears is on the page because we're still working it out when we're doing these early drafts. We're trying to figure out what the story is, what happens, and so we might meander a bit and that sort of thing, much like I'm doing <laughs> right now. But the, the well, point maybe that's is, why these... Um latest podcast episodes have been longer because it takes a bit of conversation and a bit of meandering to get through to those to delve into those subjects yeah yeah I think so because sometimes yeah we're rooting around trying to find the exact thing and I've mentioned a couple of times I think how the show notes are getting are becoming more and more valuable in to my mind because Mm. I, you know, I do my preparation, I record, you know, discuss and record with the co-host, and then I'm still thinking about it as I'm putting together the show notes, and sometimes a little extra time mulling things over makes me go, oh yeah, that thing that I forgot to mention. So (laughs) I guess the point is... And if anyone hasn't checked out the show notes lately do because the letters that you write to the authors they are pretty comprehensive these days I think the last one was about 1200 words yeah that's quite possible I just get started (laughs) and I you know (laughs) I can't stop yeah because there's a lot to know these are meaty topics and people you know again and no slam on it's this is not to be critical of other resources because There are so many great resources out there, but I know how frustrating it is for me when I see, when someone says, oh, it's simple, you just do this. But 
it's not simple to me and I don't understand it. And Mm. so out of that frustration really comes my desire to be quite thorough indeed. And and yeah, these the letters to the author recently have been really thorough and they're great. There's so much information in them. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So this story grid approach, you know, going through the steps that Sean lays out in his book and on his podcast and taking that specific step-by-step approach. Is it a fad? (laughs) Do you think you'll go back to, you know, reading the story through and approaching it the way you used to? I can't imagine uh, that. I mean, who knows? I'm always studying and, you know, like I was talking about the underpinnings earlier, like the, the, the resources, the sources that the story grid is based on. And I've been studying those a lot with my other um, story grid pals. We have a study group and we review a story every week and talk about it and, and kind of wrestle with these ideas and to continue learning. So I'm always learning, always adding new tools and new ways of thinking about story to my toolkit but I just it makes so much sense right this you know the story grid is such a foundational tool that I can't imagine I would ever abandon it and go back to essentially winging it is what it feels like without having those principles and steps to follow You talk about um, your study group and we've been meeting some of the other StoryGrid certified editors and you've all been very excited about the StoryGrid. And so this was one question that came on an email from a listener and I like it a lot. She asked, is StoryGrid a cult? Is it? Is it a cult? Hmm. That's a great question. And, you know, I guess it depends on your definition of cult, but, but I would say, (laughs) no, what I would say is that we're all really passionate about stories and storytelling because we understand what stories can do for us because stories can help us make sense of our own lives. Daniel Siegel, he wrote parenting from the inside out. And I believe he's the one who said, I'm paraphrasing, but basically, if you can understand, if you can make sense of something, you can survive it, no matter how traumatic. And, you know, there are lots of examples from history of people surviving terrible experiences, because they're able to share it with someone else in a way that helps them make sense of it. So that process of storytelling is, you know, is important to us as individuals. But storytelling and our individual stories are important also because they help us understand other people and their way of life and why they do what they do and and understand that our that differences are okay not only okay but wonderful and that variety and differences are something we can embrace and so i really believe and and i appreciate that 
you know, Sean has a similar, Sean Coyne, the author of The Story Grid, has a similar mission in that, you know, he believes that stories can change the world and, you know, for the better and that it's so important that we get our stories out into the world and that they work so that people can receive what we're intending to communicate. And that's really at the bottom of the story grid and all of this this work that I'm trying to do because because of that belief cuz you know cuz I have kids and I want them to grow up in a world that's an uh you know it's tricky right it's not life isn't easy but you know I don't want everything to fall apart before they grow up and <laughs> so to me stories are vital and and so if I can help people to communicate what they want to express and express their gifts in the world then like that's it's my highest calling and I think that's really good it feels to me really good to hear because sometimes as writers we sit at our desks writing our little stories and we feel cool to do it but maybe aren't sure why um, or can't verbalize what that passion is about so it's nice to be reminded that stories have value and that sitting down and taking the time to write them has value and that it means something and that it's not just a vain endeavor or it's not just about superficial entertainment but it means something and that's I think why so many people are called to do it feel a draw to write what's inside them yeah I mean and well okay and if you're you know as as writer and you feel excited about the stories that you read and the stories that you watch and you know that there are some people who are excited about music the same way or dance oh, or yeah. visual arts or, you know, a whole other, you know, like the full range of creative work there is to do in the world. And when, when I talk to, for example, when I talk to my parents about story, like they don't quite get it. Um, no. And that's okay. But so I guess that's what happens when I gather with the story grid editors and, you know, at the conference or the training where we went, it was just like everybody, we had this shared vision, this shared passion for stories. And it's like discovering, you know, it's like Harry Potter getting to go to Hogwarts and finding his <laughs> people and, there's there aren't that many experiences like that in life I think where you're just people really get what makes you unique and weird also (laughs) (laughs) and I think maybe that's why the the word cult came to mind for that listener because when you get in that environment, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of passion. And we've been hearing that from you and your fellow Story Grid certified editors. And it's great to hear that passion. Um, but when you're not 
right in the world with you guys when you're a little bit looking in from the outside you can wonder what it's all about yeah yeah absolutely and especially with jargon and I know that right I know that from my experience in the law that jargon can be intimidating and off-putting and so and there is quite a bit of it with the story grid a bit quite a bit of unique terminology that is in the book um so things like one that comes to mind is the phrase obligatory scenes and conventions people (laughs) may have heard you mention that phrase on the podcast what's the deal with that yeah if you want to get some creatives mad just tell them that there are obligatory scenes and they will yeah like you just you just said it's not about rules And then you tell us that there are obligatory scenes that we have to include. Right. And what we we say obligatory scenes because the reader expects to see them, right? That, That there's a natural progression to story. And if it doesn't happen that way, you know, like if it doesn't unfold that way, then it becomes, then it's unsatisfying in some way. And the reader won't necessarily be able to tell you why they didn't enjoy the story. They just will tell their friends, oh, don't bother. It wasn't that good. And so, again, obligatory scenes are like the form of a Shakespearean sonnet or a haiku in that, you know, there's a structure to it. Now, within that structure... You can innovate and please do, you know, because you have a unique way of expressing, for example, in a thriller, the hero at the mercy of the villain scene. And that's that, you know, like that's the way. Absolutely. Okay. Let me say, let me take one step back and say, you know, write your story however you want and, and go out in the world and put it out. And, and I like, I'm not the police here to, I'm not the story police here to tell you, you must do it this way. Right. What I'm saying is that this is how people have for a very long time, right? We're very, humans are unique in storytelling and story listening. And this, you know, this is the structure that we are used to. This is the way we metabolize change, for example, which is why the the Kubler-Ross grief process is such a perfect fit for story structure as well and it's a Which great is the, I think it used to be five stages of grief I think there might be more now but yeah the five stages of grief that people might have heard of right because right grief is a process of metabolizing change or dealing with or managing how do you recover from change? change yeah and that's what stories are about too right if If the story is just about a character going about their normal day, you know, not really facing much in the way of struggles, 
it's just not very interesting, <laughs> right? We can watch, right. we can participate in our own lives to that extent, right? Yeah, and we need to see change. It's And why we go to story and particular stories is that there are particular kinds of, hu you know, particular human needs that correlate with the the 12 main genres and we're looking for how do we deal with these kinds of changes and then also we're drawn by the particular emotions that come up in those stories and so the the obligatory scenes are those special moments in a story for example in in a crime story or murder, you know, cozy mystery, for example, right? We, we're looking for when the criminal is exposed. It's a huge scene. It's like the height of intrigue. And it's when Ooh. the story really changes um, on the value, right? The life value, which is just, it's a change as a result of an event. So the story changes in that moment and shifts from injustice to justice when the criminal is exposed. And so those are the kinds of things, those unconscious things that we're used to seeing in stories. And if they're not there, we miss them. Those are the obligatory scenes. They're not just things that, you know, that Sean Coyne or Robert McKee or someone just arbitrarily says you must put in your story this way because we want your story to be formulaic. Nobody wants your story to be formulaic. They want yeah. it to have form that conveys particular things about so life. So they come from the deep emotional needs we have as humans. Yeah, both physical and emotional needs. And they what's cool is that, right, why do we why do we read horror stories, for example? Why do we read thrillers? Right? No, well, I don't myself because I'm okay. a big wuss. But well, yeah. <laughs> the people in general. <laughs> I used to more when I was younger read read horror stories. But but right, it's it's not going away. It's not a fad. I mean, it comes, you know, like things become more popular and less popular. But thrillers, why do we do we just want to be scared? Is that it? And why would we want to be scared? Part mm. of it is experiencing an emotion from the safety of our reading chair. Mm -hmm. So we can go we can practice change essentially. We can see what does this character do under these circumstances? Because right. we're not facing it today, maybe, but who knows? There might be a scary ghost in your house one day. And you'll mm -hmm. want to know what to well, do that about that. The apocalypse might be coming. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So be prepared. So that's right, that's part of it too. Stories give us prescriptive tales that is do this and you'll have a positive result or they give us cautionary tales which are do you know don't do this because this is what will happen mm -hmm. so and we're so used to that in so many different contexts but um but we don't think about it consciously most of the time so this so the story grid and all of these methods these tools are about making what's unconscious about story 
conscious so you can make intentional choices for your reader. Mm. So that's the obligatory scenes and conventions. What would you say to, there's a lot of other terms and you might call it jargon when we look at the story grid. What would you say to people who see those terms and want to back away? They don't like all these phrases, these kind of the terminology. It feels like a foreign language. What would you say to those people who have that reaction? Yeah, I totally understand that. And what I would say is, one is that I'm working on, you know, translating and talking about these things in different ways. So understand that that these are flexible tools rather than rigid tools. You know, um, the spreadsheet is a big can it can feel intimidating. I'm not really a I'm an analytical girl, but but spreadsheets I don't get excited about them. <laughs> And so for anyone who's not been looking into it, the story grid, you can create a spreadsheet of how your story moves, how the emotions and plot moves throughout your story, right? You can use the events in your story and plot them out onto a spreadsheet to show the emotional changes. Is that what it is? Well, the whole thing, the way the story changes externally and internally, um, you know, because... And that's the picture that you can see on the front of the Story Grid book or, and the Story Grid podcast is that spreadsheet. Well, it's that that's or they call that's the actual Story Grid, and it's the um, it's or we sometimes refer to it as the infographic, and that is you know that's showing that's a visual rep- representation of what's in the spreadsheet. The spreadsheet contains data about the oh right about the individual scenes so right the the point yeah I guess I would say is that the spreadsheet is a very useful tool and if you're freaked freaked out about spreadsheets and the idea of gathering all that data just you know know that that's not where you start at all right we start with And we have different ways of approaching it if the spreadsheet feels really intimidating. There are still ways that we can look at your individual scenes. It's deeply useful, don't get me wrong, to be able (laughs) to see that plotted out and, and look at, you know, it just, again, brings more intention to more deeper levels of story and subtext that ordinarily would just be ignored. But that's not where we start. We start with six core questions, which are about the the main story, like just kind of getting getting your story down on a one sheet piece of paper, essentially, that becomes your roadmap, your filter for making decisions about other things. And so it's a very general thing. We're looking at what's the genre, what are the reader expectations for the genre, and and you know a few other things that are that are part of that. But the point is that you start at a really simple level, so you don't have to jump right into the boiling water with the spreadsheet and the infographic. 
So it's almost like it sounds like there are almost three stages. There's this bigger picture, six core questions that you start with, and you can get benefit from that. If you want to take it a bit further, you can do a spreadsheet where you analyze all your scenes and you can get benefit from that. And if you want to take it further still, you can do a fancy looking infographic, <laughs> which gives you even more information. But am I right in thinking you don't have to do all of those steps right. to gain benefit? Dip your toe in, really, with mm-hmm. understanding what's the type of story I'm trying to tell? I mean, you know, if you're, you know, if, again, if the obligatory scenes and conventions feel like, oh, that feels overwhelming, then look at it like, as like, what, what story do you want to tell? Like, I want to tell a story, like, for example, Treasure Island, Okay, Mm. so I go look at Treasure Island and I pay attention as I'm reading it to the moments when I get excited, when I'm on the edge of my seat, when I'm having an emotional response, when I'm intrigued and those kinds of things. And those will be those will be at least at the very least pointing at the obligatory scenes and conventions, you know, the things that the reader is expecting to see. And so you can start there. You don't have to start with all of the big tools and they can be, you know, they can be adapted. I still think it's important for a really well-told story to look at both the global or the, you know, the, the big picture as well as the individual scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't have to be in that form. There are still, useful ways to look at those things that if you're if spreadsheets are just out of the question (laughs) that we can you know that we can approach it so and I guess I would say if you have questions if something doesn't make sense if you're struggling with it you know get in touch because um, there's no reason to stay stuck Mm, you know it's the worst place to be I know. And you can get stuck in every conceivable point of this journey, I think. Yeah. And and a big part of it, right, is that we have this we have resistance. We have that there's the mental game that mm-hmm. make no mistake, that's at least half of the work. At it's, least, you know, it's just like not psyching yourself out, not giving in to resistance. Because this can feel complicated, even what once you've got a draft finished, which is a huge accomplishment um, on its own. But then when you come to revise and you start looking at these story grid steps, it can feel complicated. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the hard truth is that it takes, right, Lots of people want to write a story and they start and they, you know, and some people won't finish the first draft and they'll, you know, whatever, they'll go and do things and no judgment for anybody because life is, life is is tricky, you know, like, I mean, it's not like it's easy. So 
some people will then get through the their first draft, right? They'll maybe they'll do NaNoWriMo, which is you know finishing up here in the next couple of days, um, and they'll have a draft. And it takes so much work and so much willpower to get to the end of that gosh darn crazy draft. That yeah, right, it's a huge deal. It's a big deal, and yet the hard truth again is that you're not done, that there's still a lot to do at that point. So it's important to kind of brace yourself for that, Mm. that truth, that there's still a lot of work to do. And then just take it one step at a time. You know, find a point of entry for you find what works, experiment. If it, if something you're trying isn't working for you, either get help or try something else because there's, you know, we're all a little different and we all approach things a little differently. And I wouldn't ever want someone to try the story grid, think it, this isn't working for me. So it must be something wrong with me. No, 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 no. It's, it's more about approach and it's more about, you know, finding what works for you and keep doing that because like, as I was talking about earlier, right, the world needs your story, whether you believe it or not. And so it is valuable for you to put in the time and the energy to do it. And really like, you'll feel fantastic too. I mean, for Mm. having, done it but the point is to focus on focus on the work and appreciating yourself and celebrating the work rather than the things that come after because that's the stuff you don't have any control over what you have control over is what you do day to day and so those individual steps and things are the things that you want to focus on Rather than don't focus on the New York Times bestseller list. Don't focus on being an Amazon bestseller. Those are wonderful, nice things to have, but they are not necessary for you to tell a great story and to communicate something to someone that they needed to hear. And I'm going to take a bit of liberty here and say, if you are stuck, email Leslie her email address is hello at writership.com and I hope, I'm sure she doesn't you don't mind me giving it out. I don't mind it's all over yeah. the website yeah um, yeah reach out and don't stay stuck because it is important that you I think it's important for two reasons that you get your story out one is to feel proud of yourself and to accomplish what you've tried been working at and the other is to like you said, give people that other perspective on the world, another story to relate to or to learn through or to endure, escape through. Um, it's about achieving what you have been trying to achieve for however long you've been working on this and giving yourself that gift. And it's about giving your story to the world as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, any other questions or do you feel like you... I don't have any questions now, but I want to encourage anyone listening, if you have questions, to either leave a comment on the website 
go check out the show notes for this episode at writership.com or like I said shoot Leslie and I an email at hello at writership.com and ask 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 and that's the only way we know what's going on in in your brain right yes (laughs) I've tried mind reading and it just isn't working for me yeah no yeah Yeah. uh but um yeah one other thing I wanted to say is that I that questions are really useful for me you know along those lines questions um actually like help me focus really well and so if you have a question it's actually helpful for me and hopefully I can answer you and give you a question or give you an answer that'll be useful for you as well so um really beneficial yeah and I yes you are not bothering me I welcome them so bring them on All right. Well, thank you, Liz. I appreciate this. Like I said, questions are really helpful and help me focus. So thank Thank you you for for having me on to pick your brain. Yeah, my pleasure. For this week's editorial mission, I want to send you on an actual mission of sorts. Here's what I want you to do. Take a problem or question that you have about writing or revision. It could be a big problem small question, doesn't matter. It could be that it's plagued you for a while, or it could be something that's just come up recently. It doesn't matter. What I want you to do is hold that question in your mind and then go to your favorite source for writing and revision advice. It could be the Writership Podcast, and that would thrill me, or it could be the story grid, or it could be the creative pen, it could be writing excuses, it could be the right practice. There are lots of other sources too, and I'll feel bad that I've missed them probably in a little while. But the point is, find your favorite source. And I want you to go poke around on their websites. And I want you to do a search, like go into Google, put the name of the site, and then state your question. And the reason I want you to do this is that we sometimes will walk around with a question or a problem and not realize that the answer is out there waiting for us. Uh, If you can think of the show that that's a reference to, you get extra points on this mission. Anyway, the point is that the answers we seek are oftentimes out there. We just haven't looked deeply enough. And so I really want you to go and poke around, get beyond the first page of results on Google and and do a thorough search. And then if you don't find the answer to your question or problem, then I want you to reach out to the owner of the site and ask your question, tell them your problem. And the reason I want you to do that is to get in the habit of looking for things and asking for help, but also realize that the people who create these blogs, the people who do podcasts, they have websites and they do what they do because they want to help people, people just like you. And so I want you to reach out and 
take advantage of that because they want to help. You need some help, even if they can't answer your question or they're not quite sure. It will break down some of that resistance to asking the question, to seeking advice. So I want you to do that. And then, you know, feel free to let me know how it goes because I know this is, can be tricky and uncomfortable, but I really want you to try to push through that. Okay, so that's your mission for the week. This is a pretty simple mission, but you can find this one and all the other missions at writership.com slash episodes. And you can also sign up to have these editorial missions delivered right to your inbox. So Jim Kukrell of the Author Marketing Club and the Sell More Books show is doing another big conference. This time it's in Chicago in May 2018. It's called the Sell More Book Show Summit, and you can learn more and get a ticket at sellmorebooksshow.com slash summit. Join 174 other writers and publishing friends for this interactive two-day conference and networking event in Chicago. Eat, drink, and learn together and be on your way to building a stronger and more profitable career as an author. 175 seats are available and early bird pricing will run out soon. Visit sellmorebookshow.com summit to grab your ticket. Jim Kukrell and the Author Marketing Club cover hosting and technical support for the show but our Patreon crew supports our time in preparing the show. We have, of course, a great reward at the quartermaster's level, and it's the Writership Podcast Book Club. We Each month, I'll choose a book or story from your suggestions. I'll read it and analyze it the way I would for a story grid diagnostic, and then we'll discuss it in a recorded call. For more information about the book club or other ways to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash writership. If you enjoy the show and want to show your support, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. If you want to have your five pages reviewed, please visit writership.com slash submission. That's it for episode 123. We'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast.